Congratulations to you and I for not scaring away all of the new listeners. Yeah, that's slightly shocking, actually. <laughs> A big toot toot right now. Apparently somebody out there actually enjoys listening to us talk. Yeah, that's an odd one. That's a really, really odd one. Um, I mean, is it all coming from the same place? Is it a, Or is it kind of a scattering? Or can you even tell? It's all the same as it was before. So that means that the people that like listening to me talk to guests like listening to you and I talk. It's not too much of a stretch. I mean, it's just kind of the same, similar format. You know, most of the way that I found the way that I talk to guests now came from the way that you and I talk to each other. So that makes sense. Gotcha. We'll just see if we can keep them around through multiple, multiple ridiculous conversations. (laughs) (laughs) they have no idea what they're in for you have no idea my friends what you're in for yeah i mean we don't even know what the hell we're in for (laughs) surprisingly the butterfly butthole did not scare that many people which did you notice that's in the show notes butterfly butthole boo boo yeah i was wondering what the heck that was yeah um so in the last episode i said everybody go over to DuckDuckGo and type in butterfly butthole don't do that. <laughs> Why did you put it in the show notes? I did not put it in the show notes. I put it in, oh. the, in this because it was a boo-boo for me to tell people to go search for that. Because uh. it occurred to me a couple days, I think, after I edited the episode. I'm like, I wonder, what, I wonder what, a butt, what the butthole of a butterfly looks like. So I did exactly what I told people to do. You're not going to see a real butterfly. If you have safe search turned off, which is what I have, you're going to see pictures of people who have tattooed their buttholes with butterflies. Good God. Yeah. I, I, don't, I, want, I, I don't want to see that. That loaded for about maybe a split second. <laughs> I hit that X so fast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, well, hopefully nobody listens to me that much. <laughs> oh, man, that's horrifying. That is absolutely horrifying. So and that's a, that's about as close as a to an apology you guys are going to get. <laughs> Oops. Yuck. Just because I'm here doesn't mean you have to trust me. God, the internet is magic though, isn't it? Like just be if it exists, you'll find it. Yeah, if you want to call that magic. <laughs> the weird yeah. kind of magic land. Well, I mean, it's a, I mean, it's just... <laughs> I'm glad you're not a wizard. <laughs> What a weird power that would be. Like, if you had one spell you could cast. <laughs> oh, uh, we are off to a good start. <laughs> oh, man. Considering how I've been feeling all day, too, this is, it's shocking that we turned it around so fast. Uh, I'm not sure if this is turning it around or just turning it in a very strange direction, but it's turning somewhere. <laughs> We're boring into something, into some kind of weird dirt right now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Jeez. Uh, I don't even know where to go after that. <laughs> Uh, now let's talk about something very deep and serious (laughs) let's talk about death baby (laughs) 
Uh. Oh well, that's. I feel like that's the first time we've ever started. Yeah. Oh, it's it all because it's all because later. you had all because you had safe search turned off and you looked up butterfly butthole. <laughs> I don't think you, I, don't, I have no idea what you thought you would find. <laughs> what was your expectation? That's that's called naivety right there. Because oh man, there is still a part of my brain that assumes that when I search for things, I'm going to actually get what I want. As opposed to what the internet thinks I want. Yeah, that's true. Good Lord. That's unbelievable. Actually, that, wow. Magic gods have smiled upon us because that's a fantastic segue to one of the topics. Did you happen to listen to that uh, YouTube and the End of Friction episode of Exponent that I put in here? I did not. Fascinating. I've probably listened to it four times this week just because... um, I think I sometimes I space out, and I'm, so I, I get to the end, and I'm like, "Wow, that was fascinating." And then I go, "So what was that about?" <laughs> <laughs> it's it, that's why I take book notes and stuff like that, because my brain jumps to something else, and then I'm like, "Wait, what was that about?" Actually, um, before I go into that, what I've been trying to do in here with the show notes, with sorry, I should stop using show notes. People are going to think I'm talking about what we put up for them, the prep notes that we put up is to try to just put my notes down to like one to three words because I'm trying to actually use my brain instead of externalizing it. You know, like if if that can't spark it, you know, that one or two words can't spark what I want to talk about. And it's probably not that important. <laughs> oh man. Like, I mean, I'm just looking through the list right now. Mm-hmm. Your, your lists are getting progressively more cryptic. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm uh, trying to play that trip brain trick with me, but also not tell you exactly what I'm going to talk about to ruin oh, it. Okay, well, that makes sense. No, you know, no, like, if, if you listened to that episode, you would know what that episode was about, and then maybe those would make a little bit of sense. Um, but it's kind of, it's like cryptic for me and for you, so that, you know, you can still come in fresh. Yeah, like, I, I like this one particular one I'm looking at. Hitler Hitler was Domino. Yeah, we'll we'll get to that one. <laughs> what the what the hell does that mean? <laughs> that one is a fun one. Um, not because it's Hitler. Hate him. Hate him. We do, we do not it. we do not like or condone Hitler's actions um, or his mustache. Yeah, or his mustache. Which I mean, it ruined it forever for anybody who wants that mustache, right? Like Charlie Chaplin's got to be kicking himself. Apparently, Michael. Somebody was just talking about that's so weird. Somebody was just talking about this on a podcast this week about how Michael Jackson tried to rock that mustache for a little while. Michael Jackson. Michael Jordan. Michael Jackson never had facial hair. Hey, by the way, um, I don't know if, I don't know how relevant this is, but in listening to the, our, your last episode um, that you did with Kat, mm-hmm. um, I, I, it, it uh, Overcast pushed me to another podcast that was talking about some very interesting subjects. Uh, one for you to check, to check out is Note to Self. That one's actually really, really good. Oh yeah, that's that's actually a, a deceased show. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's um, that's uh, God, I've I've heard every episode of that. What's her name? Um, Manoush Zimarodi. Yeah, she, she went on it's to incredible. do. It's very good. I can't remember the podcast, the name of the podcast that she did after that. It was about um, going independent and uh, trying to get funding from Silicon Valley, and it was also about uh, um, not BitTorrent. What the hell they call it? Cryptocurrency. Uh, I can't remember. Zigzag. Damn, got it. Boom, still have it. Yeah, that's um, probably that's probably my new favorite podcast, by the way. Yeah, note to I, self I, is great. Yeah, I just really I just really dig her her style and her her interview speed. Like there's there's a 
there's an energy to the way she interviews people about tech, which is seemingly a pretty boring subject that's that's really engaging. There's a book she wrote that I have on the list of something that probably be read in the next couple of months, which is called Bored and Brilliant. We mm. talked about her a lot, actually. You probably just didn't didn't register because you didn't know who she was. Um, we we've, we've talked about her a lot in the past. Gotcha. YouTube and the end of friction. Um, so this is exponent. Exponent is kind of it's a hard show to actually nail down. It's sort of a tech show, but they don't talk about gadgets or services. Um, they don't review things. It's about business and not how to start one. It's about analyzing business and the market of the tech industry. Maybe that's a good explanation for it. Um, it's 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 really fascinating. The guys are v- very intelligent, both of them. Um, but this YouTube and the end of friction one, they're talking about how that. I I don't know if you've seen, but in the last week, YouTube's kind of been in a lot of the news. They've gotten in trouble for a lot of these, um, you know, these anti-vaccination videos and all of this kind of stuff. It's all coming around to bite them in the ass. And part of the reason for that is, um, as most people know, we've talked about it many times on the show, not specifically about YouTube, but YouTube is a great example of it. These algorithms of all of these services that we use, the purpose of them is to surface things that keep us engaged, that keep us, you know, addicted. So um, putting, you know, if you're a feminist, throwing in stuff that either supports what you believe into your feed or stuff that pisses you off because you're going to watch five or six things that piss you off and you're probably going to share the things that piss you off. Um, so YouTube particularly gets in trouble for that because if you know somebody watches a you know an anti-vax video, then they end up watching like twenty anti-vax videos. So you mm-hmm. take this person who maybe isn't sure whether that's a, a reality or total bullshit, which it is, um, and you turn you you basically turn them into like a fanatic because you you fill their head with all this bullshit information, and it's not insidious in purpose the purpose of it is to keep you on the platform which means give me more ads in front of you sure well what they found out was the executives knew that this was happening and there had been conversations about it and they ignored it on purpose yeah Um, remember by the way this is owned by google so shouldn't be a huge surprise out there for everybody man Um, we talked about google a lot on this show i hate them um, I really do. I'm not. I'm not exaggerating. They are an awful company. Uh, Tim Ferriss just had Eric Schmidt on his podcast this week. It was really hard for me to even try to listen to it. Mm. Um, but yeah. So basically, what, what's what's fascinating about this episode, and I, I recommend everybody anything we talk about in here, you always go check out for yourself. This is just our filtering of it for conversation purposes. But uh, one of the things that um, James and Ben talk about in this episode is the idea that before the internet, um, things, everything had friction of some sort and that the internet kind of has set itself as a way to remove friction from things. And if that's not clear what I mean to people, there's friction to sitting down to write a letter. There's friction to have to go to the post office and buy a stamp, put the stamp on it. You know, it's, it's impediments, you know, so you don't send as many letters. So we invent email. Now you can communicate at the drop of a hat right from where you are. 
removal of friction. Not saying that's a bad thing, but there are certain cases where removal of friction is dangerous. And like, for example, one of the examples that they give in there, so you talk about these anti-vax people or these flat earth people or these spaces fake people. These are the kind of people that used to stand on street corners and hand out pamphlets or have those big sandwich, you know, uh, sandwich box or uh, boards with, you know, you know, the end is near or, yeah, sure. You know, and people would just walk by them and ignore them because in a city of, we'll pick a moderately sized city of a million people. Um, actually, that's not moderate. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that's fairly large too. A hundred thousand people. Yep. There's probably, we'll be really generous and say 20 of those people um, on one particular subject. So we'll say flat earth. There's 20 okay. flat earth people in a million, in a hundred thousand population. Very small. A lot of friction for those people because they're not, you know, the, the, there's 20. And the chance of those 20 people in that city find each other, pretty slim. You know, maybe one or two will find each other. So those ideas don't really blossom. They don't really grow. But with the internet... Uh, those 20 people here, those 20 people here, those 20 people here, those 20 people here can all access each other. each other. Yeah, sure. And now you, the small, and what that ends up doing is it ends up skewing the size. So when um, one of the really fascinating points they make is, you know, because it's only 20 people in 100,000, those people maybe didn't even get that crazy about their ideas because they had this continual feedback of the other 900 and, uh, 980, 998, so whatever. The shitload of other people that don't agree with them was constant friction, right? But when, you, when this 20 and 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 this 20 are all communicating to each other, all of a sudden you go, everybody believes this. There's a ton of us. And then yeah. somehow that lends more legitimacy to the ideas, even though it's still the same percentage. Yeah, sure. And so very fascinating. They said because, and the thing about it is um, that, that's particularly dangerous about that is not that these people believe crazy things, you know, whatever. People always believe crazy things. It's that people can stumble upon this trivially as opposed to full of friction. You know, friction means you have to work hard to get it. But triviality means you accidentally end up on that video. Now, if you're 15, 16, and you don't know a goddamn thing, and you stumble on this, they might have just set you on a course for the rest of your life. Sure. And ideas are dangerous, but that's why they're important, and they're powerful, right? Nothing wrong with that. Um, but the really difficult situation that YouTube has in front of them is there's not really much they can do about it. Mm. Because... Um, in, I think it was, it was either late 80s or the 90s. you remember CompuServe? I do. So there was CompuServe, there was America Online, and one other that were like the big three ways that you could get on the internet. And all of them had built-in communities because we didn't have this. This is for people who don't know what they're talking about. I'm not really explaining this to you, Lam. I'm sure you remember this. Um, but basically, you know, if you were on America Online, you were talking to other people on America Online. That's just kind of the way it worked. Well, CompuServe had basically chat rooms and all of this. Well, there was a lawsuit and about um, some really 
harsh stuff that was going on 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 CompuServe in one of the rooms or a couple of the rooms or all of the rooms. And basically, there was a court decision that was made. And the court decision was made that companies are not liable for what happens on their platforms until they start to basically until they start to police them because when they police them they go from being a place where things are said to being a publisher of those ideas so now they're legally responsible for them so if youtube does too much they suddenly become legally responsible for things that are saying being said on their platform i wonder what the the delineation line is there it's literally you have to, as far as I understand it, you have to set up, um, you know, these are things that can happen on here. You know, like uh, Twitter, the terms of services, right? You know, like you can't say this, you know, uh, you can't threaten somebody physically. And it, it usually, from what I can see, almost always revolves around laws, you know, that already exist. And all you're doing, that way you can say, all we are doing is enforcing the law uh-huh. that already exists. We don't want a legal activity happening on our platform. But as long as what happens is legal, hands off. Interesting. And it goes back to what we've been talking about because the problem here is not that people have crazy ideas. And the problem is not that people have crazy ideas and put them online. And the problem isn't that people see them online. The problem is the fucking algorithms because they are feeding things in a way that's unnatural. Sure. And, you know, like one of the points, I don't, I think it was somebody else talking about it, but said one of the big problems with that is, um, like for me, I know that I, I believe in vaccines. I know, I, I trust real science. <laughs> but because of that, those videos are never going to come up in front of me. Sure. And because they're never going to come up in front of me, I can't report them. I can't thumb them down. So the only people that are going to see these things are people that are susceptible to believing them. Sure, which, in, which inherently catalyzes the fervor. Right. It's very, very, it's very frightening, but it's also a very complex thing because how do you, what the hell do you do about it? Uh, well, I mean, that was the discussion that we were talking about when it came to Twitter, right? Like mm-hmm. how, to, how to disseminate views that are not necessarily your own in such a way that, that you, well, there's, this, there's so many things wrapped up in this. You also have to then understand how rage culture affects it and, and, and shame culture affects it as well. So, I mean, there's a lot of different things that come to play here. Like you have to, you have to have a place where you can present the idea in such a way that not necessarily a safe space, because the more I read about this stuff, the less I care about safe spaces, but a place in which someone feels comfortable enough to share a dissenting idea and then feels okay with having people criticize it um, in, in, in such a way that is positive or constructive. But I feel like in order to achieve such a monumental thing, you have to shift the entire social consciousness into a direction in which discussion about such things can freely be had without um, just violent criticism. Right, that's a very good point. Because you know you could be the one person who goes... This is bullshit. But then you've got, you know, who knows, 300, 400 people who believe it just attacking you savagely. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a very it's a very complex issue. I think, I th- personally, you know how I feel about comments. I think comments are stupid. Yeah. I think videos should just be there. You know, like, 
I don't know this. I'm just spitballing here, but you know, for every anti-vax video you put up, maybe you should also recommend the opposite side. Sure. Makes you know, sense. The, going back to the college professors thing, you know, the liberal and the conservative college professors and um, what's that called? The bias confirmation, confirmation bias. Yeah. Confirmation um, bias. Sure. Having both balances out the, you know, the, the views for people to be able to make a decision from a neutral place. And maybe that's the problem is they're not, they're not creating any confirmation bias. They're literally just feeding the same fires over and over again. Sure. Don't know. I wish there was a way to watch YouTube and have it remember what you watched so that you still have your watch history, but not have to be signed in. Oh, I see what you mean. I hate them knowing what I watch, but I also hate watching something and going away and coming back and going, what was that thing I was in the middle of? <laughs> that's, that's, it goes back to what we were talking about before. That's, they're, they're succeeding so well at that habituation. You know what I mean? Or it's like oh, they're offering yeah. you something that seems so useful that you're willing to endure this thing that if you actually thought about it is horrific. Yeah, and that applies to. I mean, the more the more we talk about it, and the more I read about it, and the more I look into it, the more just absolutely insidious it is, and how pervasive it is too. Like, there's not an aspect of our technological lives that isn't inherently linked to it now. Right. I mean, really think about this, people. Um, if you know, having a car, being able to get somewhere in a car is awesome. You know, if you have to go somewhere like San Francisco, and you're in San Jose, which for anybody that doesn't live in California, it's about an hour without traffic taken into account in a car. If you didn't have a car and you had to walk, I think it would be a couple of days, right? Oh, easy, yeah. So imagine if every time you had to, I don't know, every time you had to use a car that you got raped. Oh, geez. Right? But I mean, that's kind of the situation we're having here where it's like I'm offering something to you that's so valuable, but what we're doing to you is so detrimental I think that that's that, that's an apt comparison. I think. Yeah, not even not even detrimental, but but violating in a way that you're not even aware of. Exactly. Exactly. You know, and, and, and I think that's the core of what worries me about all of this stuff when it comes to my deeper and deeper understanding of what Google is actually doing is how how much is happening to you without you knowing it just by using Gmail. Oh yeah. You know, and that's not even talking about using Chrome or, or any of the other YouTube um, tools or, or companies that, by the Maps. way, there's more than you think. Maps, I mean, you know, it's a, that conversation that you had with Kat, you know, one of the, 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 the things was specifically geolocation and not only the geolocation itself, but like the time you spent there, when you were there, who you were there with. I mean, it's just so insidious. I mean, that's, and that's just scratching the surface of what they actually have available to them. You know, like what we understand as the data that we're collecting is nothing compared to the reality. And this is not conspiracy theory. This is all over the fucking internet. There's articles all over the place of people exposing this and nobody cares because that car, apparently that car is worth that assault. Well, it's not even, you don't even have to read articles on it. You can, you can hear it from the horse's mouth. There are people who work, who, or, who work and worked at Google um, and Facebook, who who whistleblowing is probably the wrong way to put it, but you know, expound upon the dangers of these things in in pretty specific ways, you know. Right. 
Um, actually, that leads into to another topic that I have here. So going back to Apple News, flipping through a lot of magazines. By the way, have you noticed that they're adding a bunch? I have not noticed. I haven't dug into it. I haven't been in into, in about maybe three days. I They just keep, there's like four or five, maybe every day, new ones. Oh, I'll go cool. in and I'm like, I don't remember there being like 17 magazines about bicycling. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> but there's one in there that I've never heard of. And that's because it's a, a Canadian magazine called The Walrus. Um, from what I can tell, it's kind of like a Vanity Fair type, you know, like it's a, or a New Yorker type thing, you know, it's like legitimate journalism. Uh, so they had this article. I couldn't stop because why did I pick it up? Because it's called the walrus? No. Why did I open it? Because on the cover in giant letters, it said surveillance capitalism. Oh man. How could I pass that up after how much yeah. we've been talking about it? Like, holy shit, here it is. It's out. Okay. Canadians are talking about it. So there are you are you familiar with Jim Basili? Balsili? Balsili? I think it's Jim Basili. I know that name for some reason and I don't know why. He was one of the guys that created Rim, which Rim oh, is the company oh, that became yeah, yeah, Blackberry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. So um in a, you know, Crackberries, if anybody remembers what a Crackberry is, in a way he was um well not just him alone, but him and that company were the the first people to figure out the idea of addictive devices. Um, so he has since then sold the company. I think in 2012, he sold his part in the company. And now um, he's become kind of a the opposite, where he's fighting against these companies and surveillance capitalism and Google. And apparently he has some connection to Shoshana Zuboff. I want to say that he was either a colleague or a student of hers. Um, but I think that they're about the same age, so I don't think he was a student. Um, but one of the things that he's fighting against in Canada right now is something called the Quayside Project. And the Quayside Project is terrifying. <laughs> so um, Trudeau has given Google the okay to start an, in a segment of Toronto what is going to be a smart city. And it's not technically to Google, it's to Sidewalk Labs. And Sidewalk Labs is a subsidiary of Alphabet, which is the parent company of Google. And basically what this is, is she kind of warns that stuff like this could happen in the book when she was talking about it. It's a city where there are sensors everywhere collecting data on everything. Everything. Oh, man, that is not okay. Who's standing on the sidewalk? How long are they standing on the sidewalk? What are they holding in their hands? How long was that light? Did she take three seconds to cross after the light turned green or five seconds to cross the light after she turned green? Did she go to Starbucks or did she go into Whole Foods? What did she buy in Whole Foods? Oh, man. What car passed her? That's the kind of stuff they're going to be collecting. So so, So it's not even, we're not even hiding it anymore. No, there's there's a there's an email that surfaced. Um, I can't remember who the source was, but uh, an email surfaced uh, in our in our office um, sidewalk labs email that said that the most important thing in this project was to collect in all caps A L L all data to collect all data. No, and screw that, dude. 
at one point they had hired a, an Ontario privacy commissioner as a consultant and she quit and she quit the project because she was concerned about how and what they were going to be doing with the data. And one of the things, you know, that they would think about, this is what I thought about. This is not really in the article. Um, by the way, this article is called Tech Defector. It's in the, the May 2019 issue of The Walrus. Um, one of the things that started me thinking was, in, okay, let's go back to Facebook, right? So there's all of this talk this last year about how having Facebook having all this data and they've been able to manipulate it in a way to get people to vote the way that they want them to vote, right? Yeah. Now, if you have a smart city and you have a shitload more information than Facebook has, could you control behavior? Absolutely, without question. Right. I mean, they're, they're, they're controlling behavior now with a tenth that data. Right. And um, I just, this is just a side note. Going back to the conversation with Kat, we made a joke about, we've just installed a camera in your bathroom. I read this article like a day or two later. Yeah, there's a Google patent for a bathroom mirror with a camera embedded in it. That is not okay. And they say the purpose of it, and this is the habituation, right? The purpose of it is so that every day when you look in the mirror, this algorithm can scan your face to look for changes that might signal health problems. Oh, dude. I'm sorry, but if you, nobody's ever putting a fucking camera in my bathroom, I'd rather die. Yeah, no kidding. That is, that is a world I don't want to live in. If, if it's in the bathroom and in the camera, the camera, you know, maybe you position it in a certain way, but if it's a bathroom mirror, there's like, what, at least a 50% chance they can see you on the can? You know, like, if we're okay with the camera watching us while we shit, then we're done because we no longer have any more barriers. That's, that's like the last bastion of privacy, right? The bathroom, as far as I'm concerned. Sure. Once you give up your privacy in the bathroom, what do you have left? Yeah, once you cross that line, there's no going back, dude. This is, might as well just film all of us having sex, too, and put it on the internet. Mm. Which, when you, if you go to the porn sites and see how many videos are coming in every day, you have to wonder how many people out there think they're porn stars. Holy yeah, shit. Sure. There's actually an article a uh, long time ago in, um, what's his name? Chuck Klosterman wrote a book called Sex, Drugs, and Cocoa Puffs. Mm-hmm. And one of yeah, the, I have a book. Yeah, you remember the article where he talks about the, the porn and he's like, he's like, well, if all of these housewives are having, you know, all these housewives are really having sex and making porn, he says, then the percentage of, <laughs> of American housewives <laughs> making porn is really fucking high. Like shockingly higher than you would expect. Yeah, sure. Oh, it's just terrifying. Oh, Klosterman. I haven't, I haven't thought about Klosterman in a long time. He's wonderful. Yeah. What's he doing now? Probably still writing books. So the last book that I remembered, I kind of lost track of him. The last book that I remember him writing was the Black Hat one. Uh, I don't remember that one. Yeah. Wasn't he, writing, wasn't he writing for Rolling Stone for a really long time? That's, that's one of the places that he got famous. And then once he started writing books, I don't think he was writing for them anymore. Gotcha. That makes sense. Okay. Um, let's do one of your topics, Sam, because I just bummed everybody out. You can go any way you want. You can either Chad, continue to bum them out or you can pick a positive one. I literally don't have anything that's positive. Um, it's okay. We're already deep in the mire. 
Well, I, I guess the one thing I do have that's positive is live music. Um, and that's kind of a vague subject for me. Like, I, I feel like, I feel like it encapsulates a lot of what I believe about the world. Um, and there's a certain sense of care that I see in certain live performances that defines what I think about empathy when it comes to um, how people create things in order to to affect people either positively or negatively or just affect them at all. Um, I, I say this because I just recently went to a Muse show. Um, and, you know, I, I like old Muse. They ha- they've had some weird ones in between, some of their new stuff. Um, I didn't really like all that much until I saw it live. And I understand now on so many levels why for certain bands, there's an, there has to be there has to be the experience that goes along with the music itself because the music itself is not meant to be consumed in a vacuum. And I, it, there's also the opposite of that too as well. Like I've gone to a couple of Radiohead shows, which by the way, for anyone out there who doesn't know, Radiohead is by far my favorite band of all time. Um, but their live performances are not great. They're not that, they're not that exciting. They're not that fun. Um, and it speaks to a different kind of, of creation. Like, you know, those are two really good bands. Um, musically, I think that, that Radiohead has done more interesting stuff. Um, but performance-wise, I think that that Muse goes into creating their shows with such a deep empathy for their audience that they create an experience that isn't forgettable. Luckily, I've seen both of those bands live exactly once. Um, but I had a different experience with Radiohead. The Radiohead I saw was really good um, live. But I also happen to have amazing seats that somebody bought me. We well, I've also... And don't get me wrong, I've seen them live now, I think, a total of five times. Hmm. And, two of, and two of those shows are fantastic. I mean, I, I saw two Radiohead shows that just floored me, one of which defines my idea of what a live performance should be. Um, it was the, the show that they played at the Fillmore. Um, this is way back, by the way. This, is, this dates me pretty severely. Um, this was in like 1997. Wow. So this was just prior to the Benz coming out. And it was the most raucous show other than the first Muse show I ever saw. It was the most raucous show I'd ever been to. So they had a set list of, you know, between eight to 10 songs or whatever it was. They ended up doing like an hour and 10 minutes worth of encores. So they basically paid a bunch of stuff that was off of OK Computer, a few obscure B-sides and just absolutely ripped the doors off the place. Um, Wait, wait, wait. They played stuff off of OK Computer before the Benz came out? No, no, yeah. Um, they had they had some bits and pieces from OK Computer that were kind of not done songs, but wow. I guess they were just feeling it that night, and they were just ripping, man. It was unbelievable. That's awesome. Yeah, the claim to fame on that concert for for because I went with my sister, who I was just introducing to good music at the time, um, and she actually got she was in the pit and she got shoved a little too much towards the front uh, to the point where she almost passed out so she got picked up by the uh, bodyguard guy or the security guard guy and i think she touched tom york um not intentionally but she totally did um so that's that's my sister's claim to fame um what was the tour where they where they had liars as their opener was that in rainbows i believe so yeah that's when i saw them at the hollywood bowl uh and no pit Different, different crowd completely. I'm sure after Kid A, I think their crowd, their audience changed. Um, we, but at the Hollywood Bowl, have you been to the Hollywood Bowl before? I have been, yeah. So there's those literally. Okay, so when I say we were in the fifth row, um, you guys might be thinking that we're in seats, or maybe you might even be thinking that we were in fancy seats. 
No, at the Hollywood Bowl, if you're in like the first 15 rows, you're sitting on folded metal chairs. Yep. Like the kind that you take out for um, a funeral in a gymnasium. Or, Jeez, uh, dude, how did you get that seat? Uh, somebody, I, somebody hooked it up. I don't even know how they got it, so I can't Jeez. really say. I mean, much less paying for it. Just getting that seat is impressive. It was fantastic. And I was with Carlos, actually. He was he was there with me. And our friend uh, Janice is the one who bought the tickets. So anyways, uh, that was so much fun because um, I don't know if you saw them on that tour, but Tom, Tom York was doing that little dance. Yeah, I did see that tour, actually. Yeah, he doesn't do that very much anymore, I don't think. But it was there was something just so whimsical about him on stage. In, and they had those crystal, you know, like those hanging lines that were like crystal lines um, that were light. They were basically LED, but they looked like crystalline shapes that just changed colors. And something about it was just very quaint. But I think that if I had been further back, it might not have been as awesome because I could see details. And I'm sure to some degree I was enamored to be that close to the band. Sure. And I had been drinking a bunch of Heineken so I had to pee and I had, in order to get to the bathroom, if there's a Hollywood bowl, you have to push yourself, you have to push your way to the front of the stage. Yeah. There's, there's no way to go to the bathroom from that section backwards. So you have to go all the way to the front of the stage, literally against the stage. Cause there's no, because those metal seats are press section essentially. So there's no, that barrier that you see at a lot of shows doesn't exist there. So you're all the way up against the stage. And then, you know, now you're squeezing through people to the right to get back out to go to the bathroom. And as I'm doing this, I'm not looking up. I'm just trying not to step on people's feet. And I bump into something on stage and I'm literally holding Johnny Greenwood's foot. What? (laughs) It's just fucking such a weird experience. So anyways, the reason I'm telling that story is I think the story is part of the reason that I connected with that. Uh, Interesting. You know, it's it's not necessarily... I'm not necessarily uh, disagreeing with what you say about them live. But because that was my one time and because all of these things happen, it's also the same show where um, Carlos and I saw uh, Michael C. Hall from Dexter and we followed him to the bathroom because Carlos wanted to say something to him. And all he ended up yelling was, love your show. Um, (laughs) But anyways, all of that is what made that so great. It wasn't necessarily just the playing of the music. And so I I can understand why even you know you take like uh muse albums that you're like you're saying you know like you didn't really connect to them and they play them a little bit better live or you know there's all these other elements to it live but then there's also the experience of being there that adds to it too just being in a room when music is playing it's different yeah but i will say that 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 also sets you up for disappointment if they don't live up to that vibe too as well though totally Um, i hate when bands suck Oh, I've seen just as many bands suck that I've liked as, you know, there are a few bands that I actually like a whole lot less because I've seen them live. Um, Smashing Pumpkins actually is a good example of that. I've heard they're, they're 50-50. Yeah, it depends. I mean, I've seen them twice and one of the shows I saw in Chicago was amazing. And then another, so I saw another show in LA that was just absolute garbage. Um, and the second show I went into, I think, and I think part of that is my expectation going to the show because I'd seen such a good one that, um, the second show so thoroughly bummed me out that I kind of lost my love for them. Like pretty much in, in, in a one and a half hour span. It was crazy. Wow. I'm trying to think now I'm trying to scan my head. I'm like, who have I seen that was disappointing? And I, I can't pull anything up right now. That's pretty good. 
Yeah, I will. I will tell you though. I mean, I've seen Muse up close. Like I remember, um, I I was in England when they played a show, and it was like a really small show. It was like eight hundred people or something like that, which for a band like Muse is just shocking. Right. Um, but this was a long time ago. Like this was when Showbiz had just come out. So this was their first album, and not a lot of people knew who they were yet. Yeah. Um, but you know that show was incredible like the energy in the room like something matt bellamy's got a charisma that's really unique um beyond just being a insanely talented virtuoso level piano and guitar player um he just has a charisma that's really special um but then seeing the bigger shows like it's you you there's there's often time you kind of lose that in translation when it comes to some of the bigger shows um but somehow bellamy and and the rest of the crew like on this last tour for example the stage show is so over the top and such an immersive experience that you end up then associating the 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 music that you hear after the fact with the actual stage performance and right. it it completely changes it like i didn't really like the latest album until i saw it live and now i love it it's like when um shit, i can't remember which 9 inch nails album it was but i saw 9 inch nails live and the stage you know the, the uh screens and all of the stuff that they had going on was just so amazing oh, that it's, yeah. it was just i mean and that's the thing about a, a really done a well done live show um you know i just recently watched that uh biopic i guess is what we such a weird term but that uh, motley crew movie that they made on netflix the dirt based oh, yeah. on the book uh-huh. um yep. and i was thinking about like seeing them, you know, where they had all those pyrotechnics and they were wearing the crazy clothes and all that. It didn't even matter if you liked their music because they were giving you a show, a crazy show. That's probably sure. too much, but, <laughs> but that's what they were known for, right? Doing yeah. everything too much. Um, but extraordinary. But then there's also like the times when you go and you have that same experience for the opposite reason, you know, like, uh, you go to a small place and there's jazz, live jazz. And there's like almost nobody in there. And it's so intimate that that makes it amazing, right? You know, like yeah. you probably wouldn't have paid attention to the same exact songs that are being played if they were playing on a radio in a bar. Sure. But because it's happening right in front of you and you're just like right there and, and nobody's paying attention except for you. Now it's special. Yeah, it's actually it's funny you mentioned nails and all of that. It's one of the first, one of the first bands I saw live, and it kind of spoiled me for live performances. Like this is during the, uh, the the Pretty Hate Machine tour, and I mean, Trent at that age and and with that level of vitality. I mean, the stage show wasn't even that complex. It was just a whole bunch of lights and a shitload of fog. But man, was it an energetic show! You know, stuff was getting tossed around. Like I mean, band members were getting smashed into by Trent. I mean, there was just such a violent energy to it that that just whipped up this fervor in the crowd. Um, uh, for anyone who 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 hasn't picked it up by now, the word for the night is fervor. Um, fervor, fervor. I like that word. Um, please, please it, insert uh, Pee Wee's Playhouse scream every time he says fervor because it doesn't sound like what it is. <laughs> yeah, it fervor sounds a lot close to pervert. Yeah, well, Fervor sounds like a little fuzzy animal to me, so maybe my our brains are in different places right now. <laughs> oh man, that's funny. Um, 
but yeah, so I mean, there, there's there's a certain there's a certain expectation level that you build, and I think that's like the first three the first three shows I ever saw in my entire life. Number one was Tori Amos, uh, number two was Trent Reznor and Nine Inch Nails, um, and number three was Radiohead. I mean, that's a that's a heck of a way to start. What was it with the weird Nine Inch Nails and Tori Amos crossover? Almost everybody that liked one liked the other. Well, and and there was also other than the piano. Well, and there was always rumors that they had a thing. You know what I mean? Um, I don't know if that was ever true. Um, They did that one song on uh, Tori Amos's um, "Under the Pink" album. Yeah, "Under the Pink" uh, called "Past the Mission." Uh, where Trent was singing backups on on the boat or on on that song, yeah, but other course. than that, I don't think anything anything was ever really confirmed. It was just kind of a this weird mystical rumor that that the fans like to throw around. Yeah, it was a very it was a very weird connection because two essentially very different audiences. You know, one mostly masculine, one mostly feminine, one heavy, one not heavy, uh, excluding emotional heaviness, of course. Sure. Yet the crossover between those two was just, it was apparent. Uh, almost everybody. It, it's like you could put their albums on the shelf together. It was yeah, a, I mean, weird I, can't, I can't tell you, I, I don't know of a person who liked Tori that didn't like Trent and vice versa. Yeah, strange, right? Yeah, it's super strange. Oh, wow. All right, let's get back to your, let's, let's get back to your weird stuff. What do we got? And pick one. There's three left. Yeah, let's see here. I love making you pick them. It's like a Man. really boring lottery. <laughs> uh, a podcast about podcasting. I mean, I'm really curious about this Hitler thing. All right. Let's talk about the worst man ever. Well, maybe not the worst. I'm sure Stalin was a lot worse. I mean, he's, a lot he's, more in, people. He's, he's in the top 10. Okay. So, uh, anybody seen the movie, the Deadpool number two. I know you've seen it, Lamb. And I know you know the comic books. So you know who Domino is. Yes, I do. For all the people who just said no, Domino is comic book character and her power is luck. Incredible, outstanding, hard to believe, near impossible luck. A light post falls and happens to kill the enemy for her so she doesn't have to fight. Things like that. Um, turns out, after reading uh, the, in the January-February 2019 issue of Ideas and Discovery magazine, there was an article, an article called The Butterfly Effect. And I had to look at that because we talk about the butterfly effect all the time. Turns out that Hitler was kind of a real-life domino. And this is kind of depressing. <laughs> <laughs> because of all the times that he could have died and not killed 6 million people. Um, so as he was um, in charge of Italy, as he was the dictator during that time, there were over 20 attempts to assassinate him. Somehow they all fell apart. None of them succeeded. One of them was made into a movie with Tom Cruise, which is just weird. Um, Valkyrie. Um, yeah, but weird the- on many levels. And, and what saved Hitler on that one was a big-ass table. Yeah. So um, if you take those out, because we kind of were familiar with those things that happened. Still kind of amazing. He lived through 20 attempts. But there are three that I want to point out that are just a little eerie. Um, So in 1939, when he was already the Fuhrer, um, he would, that says Bean Hall, that's funny. He went to a beer hall 
and uh, he gave a speech in a beer hall. That I don't remember the name, any of that shit. But it also happened on that day that he was giving the speech in a beer hall in front of all of these people that this thick fog rolled in. I don't even remember what town they were in, but it was not Berlin. Um, and because of that thick fog that rolled in that day when he was giving the speech, he could not leave on an airplane because the airports were closed because of that. Uh-huh. And because of that, he had to take a train. And because he had to take a train, he had to end his speech 30 minutes early. So he leaves his speech 30 minutes early, five, 10 minutes after he leaves, the place blows up from a bomb. Oh my God. <laughs> what the fuck? Um, 1894, Hitler's five years old. He's playing by, a, playing by the side of a river. He falls in. He doesn't know how to swim. Another five-year-old boy saves his life and pulls him out of the water. And my personal favorite, because this is just terrible. Um, On the Western Front, which is in France, was in France, um, 1918, also the year my grandfather was born, Hitler is a Bavarian soldier. He's, he's He's from Bavaria, which is part of Germany. And he's on the Western Front, and he's been kind of wounded. He's on the battlefield, and a British soldier spots him. And aims his weapon at him. Um, he's got him in his sights. It's a rifle. And and at the time that he aims the rifle at him, Hitler makes eye contact with this guy. And he's not Hitler yet, right? He's just a young soldier. He's not this guy, this this criminal of history, right? He's just another guy on a battlefield from the other side. And this British soldier decides mercy and puts oh, the man. gun down and lets him leave the battlefield. How, I mean, oh, that guy, that poor bastard. (laughs) If he had just decided, I'm going to follow orders and just shoot this bastard, how much could have been averted? So put all those together and tell me he's not kind of like a real life domino. That's a lot of luck. Yeah, he's, he's basically a pudgy domino. That is a lot of luck. And you almost... You almost want to take it and be able to say, it's awful, but apparently fate exists. You know what I mean? It's like, it's almost like something was going. No, this awful thing in history, this thing that people will hopefully never forget happened. It has to happen because that's the way it's fated to be. And 20 attempts and falling in the river and a guy pointing a gun at you on a battlefield and a uh, bomb going off in a beer hall where you're giving a speech, none of them will stop it from happening. It's, it reminds me of Doctor Who, you know, like where he can't travel back to a place where he already is. Yeah. Because he can't change it. It's unchangeable. Yeah, it goes back to our time travel discussion again. Right. I mean, and if how, you were going to travel how, back in time, you'd get that British guy to pull the, pull the trigger, wouldn't you? Yeah, but how would you have known? Well, I mean, I guess you know with the, the foresight of the future. But then if, but here's the thing, right? If, if Hitler dies, the course of human history is dramatically altered. Maybe we wouldn't have Google. <laughs> yeah, or, may, or maybe we'd have something a whole lot worse. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I think this is, oh, I don't really like that I'm about to do this. I'm going to pull out a very weird silver lining on one of the worst events in history. Oh, man, here we go. 
the silver lining of that, which is a stretch to call it that, is because we saw how bad fascism could get that maybe it never got any worse. Mm. You know, it's like the regurgitation. When you eat something, you eat too much of something um, and you throw up, you're like, oh, I am never eating 45 ho-hos ever again. Like Hitler was our 45 ho-hos. Yes, I'm trivializing him because he's <laughs> he's an idiot. <laughs> but I, I I think the the comparison is pretty apt though in its in its I, I don't even know how to accurately describe that in its juvenile way in in that it it clearly demonstrates to us the horror of pure fascism and how a large group of people can be convinced of such a terrible idea. Yeah, it's like a lesson, you know. It, it's it's awful especially to the 6 million people who lost their lives and not in painless ways in some of the most awful ways to lose your life. But and we're not even, we're not even talking about the Russian front where basically Stalin sent tens of millions of his own people to die. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, why why does Stalin not get as much hate for the amount of for the amount of death he was responsible for? I I'm shocked at that still. Because they helped us stop Hitler. Yeah, I guess. I guess the winner writes the history books regardless of how big an asshole some of the winners might be. Well, in this country, we don't hear a lot about Pol Pot. Yeah, true. Good point. I mean, the Cameron Rogue was pretty fucking brutal and pretty fucking awful and probably did a lot more things worse um, on an individual basis, obviously not in scope, than Nazis did. Sure. Um, or have you ever seen that documentary, The, the Act of Killing? No, I have not. Okay. Um, probably one of the most powerful documentaries ever made. What's it called? Uh, the Act of Killing? Where Where can I find that? Um, I know it was on Vimeo, but it might be on something else by now. Excuse me. As I burp for the first time this episode, I just typed in Vimeo. I'm looking right now. I'm looking because I don't, um, I don't want to get the details of this wrong. I say we were we were due for a Chad burp, so I'm glad that we we've gotten that out of the way. That was my ho ho burp, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the act of killing is from 2012. I pulled up the Wikipedia, not remembering this from um, from my own memory, but essentially, I just wanted to remember the where the hell is it? Indonesia. Okay, I wanted to make sure I said the right country. Um, it's about these the killings that happened in, from 1965 to 1966 in Indonesia, where um, basically I don't remember what the two factions are. One of them was um, communist, and the other one wasn't. And I believe the communists um, actually got slaughtered. They just got uh, literally um, shot in the head and thrown in ditches, and all of the worst things ever. Um, I might have it backwards. It's been a long time since I saw it. I'm sorry. If you've seen it and it's fresh in your mind, it's not fresh in my mind. The experience is fresh in my mind. Because this documentary, what they do is these guys, they go back and they find these guys. And I don't know how this happens, but, you know, they were talking about history writing for the victors, um, being written by the victors, I should say. Because these guys won the war, won whatever this was. I don't think it was actually officially a war. They were the heroes of their history. Literally, there were parades given for these guys for these horrible things that they had done. Um, 
at just appallingly horrible things. And they were considered and still and probably are considered national heroes. Jeez. So these, these guys go and they interview them. And because they think they're heroes, they're completely proud of what they did. Oh, man. So they're more than willing to tell everything. But the thing about this documentary is it gets really fucking weird because they take them to places and they ask them to reenact them. They reenact what happens and shit gets really weird. Like one dude starts cross-dressing. It's, I'm, I'm literally not exaggerating. But um, I don't know. It's, what the hell? <laughs> I, don't even know how, I, I don't even know how to explain this movie. It is probably one of the most fascinating pieces of cinema ever made. Hands Interesting. down. And it will make you want to throw up. Um, but nobody knows about that. We don't talk about what happened in Indonesia. 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 Uh, uh, that doesn't come up at all. So, yeah, I know. I think that that's why, like this uh, movie, like this, I think is important, is because it does kind of what we're talking about. Like, it's really important. The reason we study history and the we the reason that we talk about horrible things that happen in the past and we don't let them fade out is sure. because they're supposed to remind us not to do it again. Not to treat each other like this. Not to cut people into pieces. You know, like, <laughs> sad, but we do need to be reminded of that. That people, going back to the YouTube thing, people can be, you know, excited into a fervor like like piranhas. But but, but then also absolutely. So I, I guess that the, the issue isn't the, 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 the fervor, it's what it's pointed towards. And when when that level of excitement is there, like the, 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 the need to belong to a group removes your ability to determine whether that group is actually good or bad. Right. And because, you know, you're living fictions. Like when you watch this, like there's, there's th- basically three guys or the main guys. One guy is a complete sociopath. Um, and he doesn't regret anything, but he's also completely aware of everything he did. Yeah, sure. The other two, it's a little more ambiguous. Um, one seems com- uh, almost like he has some mental defects. Like he is so incapable of connecting awful things with being a hero and all these other things. He, It's almost like he's not aware that those two things are connected. Mm. It's just, it's fascinating. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's the... In a psychological sense, it's the closest thing you would get to seeing a documentary about, you know, uh, insert terrible regime here, whether it's Nazis, uh, Stalin, uh, Camera Rogue. This is a great way to do that. Camera uh, Rouge. Camera Rouge. Um, anyways. I don't know how we ended up there. We are, this is, you know, this show gets to be um, really dark a lot. <laughs> but I, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because I don't think the things we talk about, or I don't, I don't think we talk about them in a dark or fatalistic way. You know, I think, I think a lot of what the show has become, and maybe it's just because of where we both respectively are in our lives, but we're, we're starting to see a lot of, we're pulling the curtain back. And I think that's the best way 
I, I was thinking about this earlier. Um, and I think that, that a lot of what we gained as we got older and older is the ability to, to see past the bullshit. You know what I mean? So I think our bullshit meters are just remarkably high right now. And we're just being able to, to call things as they are. Yeah. And it seems like the more, the more you read and the more you educate yourself, the more you watch things, the harder it is to avoid the dark things because let's be honest, as awful as it is, more people want to read about World War II than they want to read about, you know, how to crochet. Sure. That, that the awful, and you know, we've talked about this before, you know, that the, the bad things are the, the easy emotions. They're the cheap emotions because we can't turn off our, our attention centers. You know, it's like sure. the house is on fire. Guess what? Can't ignore it. Uh. We're really good at ignoring things that happen in other countries, though. Like this. Yeah. yeah I mean, that's pretty obvious in, in your conversation with Kat as well. I mean, it's, it's, so, it's so interesting to, 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 to hear that perspective, um, on, on a, uh, to hear her perspective on a few things that I think are universally true, but are, are very obviously American when you talk to, talk to someone that isn't living in this country. Um, it makes me think like I need to, to, make more friends outside of the United States just so I can get a better perspective on who we are and what we look like to the rest of the world. Yeah. And her perspective is particularly fascinating because she's giving you a British or English perspective, but not really because she's only lived there for 14 years before that. 14 she, years, dude, 14 years is a long time though. <laughs> no, but what I'm saying is she wasn't born there. So she, oh, sure. she, she also has a childhood of being in America. Um, so it's it she has a very unique perspective that it's not a completely american perspective and it's not a completely british perspective she has this hybrid perspective which i find very fascinating yeah both my sister and her husband have that too as well my sister went to school um at the london school of economics and then basically met the love of her life and lived there for more than a decade and then they moved back to new york so you have a british boy living in new york now for the last you know however many years and their their shifting of perspective in either direction has been really fascinating to 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 discuss with them on occasion, um, just because the the world that they lived in were so heavily entrenched in a certain culture, um, only to get completely blasted in one direction or the other. Yeah, I think that people that have those um, at least you know two places where they've lived two two um, we'll use countries. That's probably a good granularity for this. That have lived in two countries um, at least. They, they seem to have a really balanced perspective, you know, because they can't get too entrenched. You know, you can't be too passionate about the Tory party if you've only lived there for 14 years, right? Sure. Um, you can't be super, super Democrat, you know, um, I'm going to, I'm all about Hillary when, you know, uh, you moved to Taipei. And you've been there for 10 years. You, In fact, you probably don't care anymore. You can't stay entrenched in those things. And I think that that's very fascinating. And I wonder like how, if the world could benefit from forcing people to have to live at least in two, at least two countries during their lifetime. Yeah. I mean, I've always actually kind of thought that, I mean, there are a couple of rules for life that I think should apply to everyone. One of which is living in another country. Um, the other, the other is um, at some point in your life, you have to work retail um, just so you have some idea. Um, how crappy 
a day or how 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 much you can thoroughly destroy a person's day by being crabby to them in the service industry. Yeah, retail or to be specific, retail industry, I mean a service industry as yeah. a waiter. Yeah, yeah, that's true. You have to you have to serve the public in some way. Yeah. How could you know we we talked about how how could the world be different if Hitler had been shot? How different would the world be right now if Donald Trump had to spend two years in college as a waiter? Sure. Probably drastically different. Oh, of course. Absolutely. And that's not a political opinion. I'm just talking about rich versus poor understanding of perspective. You know, rich people aren't naturally bad. I'm just saying that there's things that he didn't understand about the world that he probably never will because he's always been rich. Well, and I'm not also making the assumption that anyone who doesn't work in a service industry is inherently evil or who of doesn't, or, you know. Of course. But I, what Shit I will heads, say, just kidding. Well, what I will, what I will say though, is that it gives you a unique patience um, and an understanding. You know, like, and I think, I think, in in order to to, I think everything about my journey now is about finding empathy, um, and and not just some notion of empathy that I think is correct, but actual empathy. Um, and I think that one of the the primary ways to do that is to to really put yourself in a person's position. Uh, whether you like it or not, and and actually, in in fact, the more uncomfortable the swap of perspective is, is the better, you know. And I if that means having to go live in another country or work in a service industry, or even better, work in a service industry in another country, um, then you your your perceptions about what kindness is and how and and the the effect of kindness and gratitude on people is exceptionally specific you know um and i i think that because of my time working service like you know when i was working at barefoot way back in the day and you know all of the things that i've done since i've been in service in some way and even even now when i'm doing the political stuff there's definitely a very specific like my empathy feels much more evolved it may not be more or less than it ever has been um because i think empathy is a choice but i think how i'm empathetic and why i'm empathetic are, are very specific now yeah, that's one of my pie-in-the-sky hopes for virtual reality, that it can expose people to being in other people's shoes. Oh, interesting. Air quotes uh-huh. right now, in a way that we don't now. I know it's kind of similar to the way that people thought television is the greatest tool. Um, actually, we talked about this with Edward Aramuro. The greatest tool for education possible, and then we used it to watch sitcoms. You know, I know that in reality, what's going to happen with with uh, virtual reality is we're going to have these hopes like I have right now. And most people are going to use it to get screwed by insectoid robots while uh, Martians dance in sombreros, you know. <laughs> That's which, by the way, the which, by the way, there's nothing wrong with that either. Um because I think I, I think about the Edward Murrow thing, and then I think about what we talk about on the show all the time, right? Like most of the things that we consume in some way have been consumed in some kind of video fashion, you know, some kind of form that that I guess in a lot of ways is, is using the platform for its most positive effects. Um, don't get me wrong; some of that's entertainment and placebo. But beyond that, dude, I've learned a lot from watching things on YouTube and Netflix and Hulu, um, which, by the way, I have an account now, and it's awesome. Um, oh, great, because I have a recommendation for you. Oh, sweet. Okay, cool. Yeah, I, I somehow, I don't know what the Hulu and Spotify connection is, but I have um, Spotify Premium, so it, it, it comes with a Hulu account now. Yeah, they're buddies right now. Um, 
that's all going to change again when this Disney Plus thing comes out because they're going to package Disney Plus, ESPN Plus, and Hulu together. Oh man. Okay. Well, I'll, I guess I'll just use it while it lasts. Oh, I'm sure they'll keep those those tiers too. They're not going to say goodbye to any customers. Okay. Um, where was I going to go with that? Oh yeah. Um, first of all, not a recommendation, but you definitely, definitely, in the next like three days, need to catch up on the last reason, the last season of Orville. Okay. Yeah. You Wait, and I a, need to talk Hulu, about right? that. That's on Hulu. Got it. Okay. Perfect. I didn't even know that. I need someone to talk to them about that show. <laughs> It's so good. Uh, There's a lot of that going around. I'm not. I'm not going to talk about this movie at all. I'm just going to recommend it. It's going to go in the newsletter. Um, but I literally watched it last night. It's called Destroyer. It's on Hulu. It's Nicole Kidman as this fucked up cop um, who went undercover when she was younger into basically a bank robbing cult. What the hell? Okay. It. Okay. Um, One sentence. I'll give myself one sentence. Best performance from Nicole Kidman of all time. Hmm. Her best performance, hands down. Never thought much of her as an actress, neither positive or negative. Now, big fan. Interesting. She she was great in Top of the Lake. um, But anyways, side note. Side note. Okay. I will note that one down and I will find it. Yeah. Although, although I think I need something lighter, so Orville's going to be on the menu for. I may just binge the entire season. I would go through half of the Orville season, watch the Destroyer, and then clean everything out with the rest of Orville. <laughs> oh man, it's like a colonic, a Hulu colonic. Okay. You know, I just named the episode Hulu Colonica. Like, I feel like that's like a reggae song waiting to happen. Uh, it's uh, what was that guy's name? Um, uh, he had like those the sort of reggae, sort of rap. Um, I can't remember his name. I used to make fun of it because it would come on and I'd say a chicken and a rubber bun because he I would just say like the randomest things together. I can't remember his hell? name. I have no idea what you're talking about. It'd be so much funny if I could remember his name right now. Tough shit. Okay. Um, I'm going to pick one of your topics for you. <laughs> oh, shit. Okay. Here we go. We're switching it up. Go for it. Let's talk about resetting your brain. Oh. What the hell did that mean? Um, so I'm looking for a brand new therapist um, because I'm looking for someone who specifically focuses on CBT. Um, for anyone who doesn't know what CBT is, cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, because I, because my, my, psych, my training is a lot in psychology, um, I am very good at building realities for myself. And when those realities come crashing down, like i.e. at the end of a very meaningful and deep relationship, um, rewiring the brain to not be full of depression and anxiety is really, really tough because the the framework for the reality that I've built is so set in stone that I literally have to go crashing through it with a sledgehammer. Yeah, that's always that's always the hardest part about um, anything drastic, you know, like um losing a relationship uh losing a person you know like death or something like that um losing a house <laughs> about loss we'll say is that you're stuck with pieces that you don't know how they will fit together anymore yeah exactly like, and in oh, my case and in my case there's a lot of really big pieces <laughs> see i'm really good at um maybe because i've spent so much time alone i'm really good at that because I know that that's when, whenever I get like 
project focused and productivity focused and all that. That's what I'm doing. I create an artificial structure when I feel like I need it. Mm. And I, and then once I start to feel comfortable, anybody that's stuck around this podcast or anything that I've created for a long time, no, probably notices that I oscillate between like really strict to really loose. And that's literally what I'm doing is I'm creating a structure for myself. And then when I feel happier, I'm like, Ooh, I'm free. I'm going to do whatever I want when I want. And that's the way it's going to be. And then, then that goes to the extreme. And then I'm like rules. We need rules. It's got to be out on this day and I got to do this. And for me, that structure helps a lot. Uh, I'm not saying that that would necessarily what would work for you, but understanding, finding someone who can help you to understand the way that your brain works is a really good step, you know, to be able to like, I know that my brain works like that so I can manipulate that. Well, I, I, I inherently know that my brain works like that. The problem is I'm, I'm, stuck in this causality loop right like i because the the relationship ended in such a way that i felt that it like it was a it was such a close proposition like whether it should have ended or not and so because of that the reality of it is 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 it, it's just illogical you know what i mean like from a purely logical standpoint it's difficult to conceive of a world in which her and i are not together and that's not just some weird romantic notion that i'm holding on to it's just the 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 compatibility that you know this is of course forgoing some very important parts of this equation which for her is you know she's never had any time being single and so she needs to define her life for herself and find her independence i understand all of that um so it's not speaking to any of that but the reality that I constructed around us being compatible and the things that we could achieve together is so, so well defined that I need someone to forcefully reset that. And, and given how hard I've tried to do that over the last couple of months, um, I'm starting to come to the conclusion that I really cannot do that alone. Well, you're, you're in denial. Um, not maybe in the way that you thought you were. You're in denial of that reality. You yeah, sure. You haven't accepted the change yet. Totally, you know, completely. Yeah. So because of that, that's why you're is that's why you're in that loop. Because what it is is you're going, I'm going to move on, and then you reach the outer boundary of that moving on, and you go, but this isn't what I want, and yep. because this isn't what I want, that can't be real. That couldn't have happened, and now you're back to the beginning. That literally happens daily for me. Yeah, and you really like having somebody help you through that is going to be a big deal because it's somebody to be able to guide you you know like not necessarily snap you out of it but you to allow you there's um i just read jordan peterson's book 12 rules um for life which was i don't want to go into a review of it it was mediocre parts of it were really good parts of it were really upsetting in some ways and parts of it were just fucking boring and confusing um but one of the things he talks about in there that i found very good um he's a psychologist by trade that's 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 what he's trained in right and he talked about how when never to give people advice he says he suggests that people don't give advice he says because in reality what you do when you're giving advice is you're sublimating your own opinion into their life God, you're literally trying trying dude, to step I so agree with that and instead what you really need to do that the most helpful thing that you can do is to truly actually listen and then ask questions 
that make that person decide shit for themselves. I completely agree with that. How do you feel about that? What are you going to do about that? So you're forcing them to make a choice, but you're not forcing them to make a specific choice. You're just saying, I'm going to ask you questions that make you choose. What you choose is up to you. Well, you're also not injecting your choice either. Because I feel like that's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Part of part of the issue is is even if even a suggestion skews the the mindset of the person, and I think that's part of the reason why there there are a couple friends that I have in my life that that are very very good at that, and it's no it's no coincidence that they they have a pretty solid um, training in psychology as well. Like my the the two friends that I'm thinking of, Celeste and Heather, both have training in psychology, so they literally don't tell me what to do. And this is part of the reason why, actually, for a very long time, I didn't tell a lot of people about um, the end of my relationship is because the last thing I wanted was their stupid-ass advice. And it's not to say that their their advice is actually stupid or anything like that. It just doesn't take into account me. <laughs> right. Yeah, because, I mean, at heart, what people are trying to do is a good thing. You know, it's like, I want you to feel yeah. better. What they yeah, the don't end- realize is, I want you to feel better because then I will feel better. Yeah, the the intention is not bad, you know, and and for some people, yeah, I think they even genuinely want me to feel better for me, you know. But I, I just no, don't I mean, think... I explained that poorly. It's not that they're being selfish and they don't realize they're being selfish. It's that we are uncomfortable when people are unhappy. Yeah, no, that's true. So yeah. we're driven to want to make people happy, which is a good social glue. It's a mm-hmm. good thing. It's instinctual, but what we end up doing is saying, you should go to the beach for the weekend. We're trying to be helpful. But like you said, I'm thinking of stuff that makes me happy. And yeah. I want you to do these things, not because you did what I told you to do, but because then you'll feel better and I'll feel better about you feeling better. And then we'll both be better and it'll be happy and we can run through fields together. That's yeah, not yeah. life. That's yeah. not life. Um, we, we wish it was that simple. Um, I don't know. It's. I think that the the question thing is is avoided because it's fucking difficult it's really difficult to not inject yourself into other people's issues because of that drive but but it's definitely possible though i mean and don't get me wrong i'm not saying i'm I'm, i i think i'm good at it just because i know the method you know what i mean um like in almost any situation in which I'm, i'm helping someone deal with a problem i never ever ever try to give them advice it's just all a slew of questions i mean don't get me wrong um, because of my practice at this and you know my time in business and sales and everything else, like I'm used to steering conversations. So I'm trying to steer them towards asking a very specific question of themselves. Um, and I think that that practicing that makes it so that you can be a better friend to most people. Um, I don't know what the hell my point was as well. <laughs> well I um, stumbled across an idea recently. And in the next week, Try this and let us know if this comes up with anything interesting. Stop thinking about your specific issue, your specific relationship. Just look at your life now as it is and ask yourself this question. What patterns am I repeating? Mm. Not what patterns am I repeating from a relationship or whatever. Just literally, like, what am I doing over and over again? And I... I don't, that seems like a really important question because it goes so many different ways. Who knows? Maybe, maybe it will connect to that or maybe it won't. But I think like 
It's a good question to ask. It's an interesting question to ask. Sure. Because for me, um, the reason I thought of that this week is because uh, there are moments where, you know, like we had talked about those um, identity statements. I am this, I am that, that we say to ourselves and we don't realize. In going through that and having sat on that and digesting things, I realized that there are certain things that I repeat that make me unhappy. And I don't know why I repeat them. Um, without going into a ton of specifics about my personal life, which I don't like doing on the show. Um, just there are certain things that I do that I know that either lead to me being unhappy or actually make me unhappy, not in huge ways, sometimes in just small ways that I continue to do over and over again. Mm. And I feel like if I can take, for me, the way that I'm going to interpret that information is if I can take one of those, just to start with the small stuff, and start just changing those those little small things. What would the large impact of that be? You sure. know, like like when I was younger, if I was always late, I always felt like, and this is actually true. I, I would I, there was a period in my time of my life where I was late for everything, but I also felt guilty for being late all the time. <laughs> so I felt like shit every time I would go somewhere. So what's the fix for that? Either don't go anywhere, or fucking go on time. Sure. And I'm sure in the years you've known me, I'm never late to anything. Yeah, I'm always absolutely. like the first person. And that's why. And oh, I remember that. And I'm like, oh, that was a little tweak that I did that made a difference. So that's like, I don't know, um, maybe it's time to go into our challenges now, I guess. Shit. Well, what, just, be, just quickly on that, though. I mean, at what point did you make that choice? About the um, being late thing? Yeah. Um about 2000 so 19 years ago well the only reason i ask is because it kind of segues kind of perfectly into the challenge thing for my challenge as well but yeah carry on the the challenge that you did last week yep good because that's what we're going to talk about right now sweet um, so uh, remind everybody what your challenge was for anybody we're lucky enough to be new to cut out a vice completely from my life love it so would you would you what happened? Uh, it was kind of a tough one because I, I wasn't yeah. sure how I was going to approach it. I knew what I wanted to get rid of. Um, the, the reason I actually brought up that challenge was because it's something I've been meaning to do anyway. Um, but I wanted to cut sugar completely out of my life. Ooh, nice. You know, I love that. Yeah. And that, that, one, that one was, God, it's so much harder than it seems. Um, You're talking about processed sugar, right? Not all yeah, sugar. Yeah, processed yeah, not all sugar, um, even though at the very beginning, I actually wanted to see how... So that was the real question, right? Like, how crazy did I want to get? Um, so I ended up landing on processed sugar because removing all sugar from your life is A, inherently dangerous, and B, damn near impossible. <laughs> yeah, because you would have to be like on a carnivore diet or something like that. Yeah, exactly. I would because literally have to eat I, just pure meat and, and salad, essentially, is, which is paleo anyway for most people. But I mean, there's... There were just limits to how crazy I wanted to get. Um, ultimately, yeah. the answer was that I would remove all processed sugar from my life. And holy crap, man, like that is, I've quit a lot of things in my life. That one was real tough. I mean. That's like quitting heroin. Dude, the amount, the amount of withdrawal, like the headaches, the way your body feels. I mean, the mm. first three days were rough. <laughs> it's almost like the keto flu. It's yeah. Not, essentially, and, and, it is a keto flu. Yeah, and I mean, I will tell you, man. I felt I felt this this 
I felt like a crackhead. I'm, I'm, I, I don't know how a crackhead feels because I've never been a crackhead, but damn, that's, that's got to be as close as there is to it. Um, because I found myself jonesing for sugar, the likes of which I'd never understood before. You know, I'll tell you something. When, um, when I first started doing that kind of stuff, um, I was never a sugar person. I was always more of a salt person. Mm. I was like, would you rather have a cookie or a cracker? I would always take the cracker. Of course. And then when I started cutting sugar out, I became the sugar person because my body was, <laughs> because it never really made a difference before. But now that it couldn't have it, I would find myself like I literally had to like, um, because I live with other people, right? Uh, I had to make sure that there weren't Oreos on the counter because in the middle of the night when I'm not so <laughs> full of willpower and consciousness, <laughs> I would get up and I'd take a leak and I'd be like, I could eat an Oreo and I'd eat a fucking Oreo in the middle of the night. Holy crap. That wow. was never me ever. But because of that withdrawal, I became like a sugar junkie. That's insane. It's it's weird, but it's like your body going, give it to me, my precious. All right, your turn, your challenge. What do you got? My challenge was the taking photos. Um, take a photo every day. I ended up taking more than one photo every day, of course. Of course. But I knew that would happen, so that's good. Um, so I took out my old Sony um, NX6, NEX6, which is terribly outdated, and I still love it. And taking pictures with it, I remembered that I still love it. And I broke two of the big rules that you're not supposed to break with photography, is or at least the way that I learned with digital photography, is never shooting JPEG, always shooting raw. I said, fuck it, I'm going to shoot in JPEG. And... Yeah. Uh, also to change black and white after you take the photo, always take, I was always taught, take photos in, in color and then make them black and white afterwards. I said, fuck it. This is why I shot in JPEG because I have a black and white setting on my, on my camera. I put it in black and white and I said, right to black and white as JPEG done. And I just took fucking pictures because you know me, I don't care about processing. If I don't get it in that moment, it doesn't, I'm bored with it. Sure, I totally agree. Um, and I mean, and to me, I mean to be real with you too. Like I, I no, go ahead, finish, and then I'll. No, I'll no, 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 no. I, I have a photo rant on that one. I have no idea what I was going to say, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> Sweet. Okay. Well, I'm I'm glad I was able to catch the train before it derailed. Um, I have been a photographer um, off and on. I, I wouldn't say off and on. I've been a professional photographer off and on for 20 years and I've been a photographer for that full 20 years and probably much longer. I've been a photographer since I was 15 years old. Um, and I will say now that considering how high the resolution is on the JPEGs and the number of megapixels on the cameras, shooting in RAW is almost entirely unnecessary unless you're doing a very specific type of shot for something that's incredibly high resolution so any purist asshole photographer out there who always shoots in raw is an elitist prick who has no reason to have a camera <laughs> well the reason i was taught it is because you know of the ability you have to alter it afterwards right um especially if you're shooting in color and then changing to black and white you have more access to the light spectrum yada 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 yeah well i mean you're always all true. Specific, i mean true to a point but um, i don't give know. a shit that's what i, I think is what i learned yeah, that's perfect. And the reason why you shouldn't give a shit is because the the, the level of quality between um, a JPEG image and a raw Im image these days or the level of possible modification is not really 
nearly as high of a disparity as it used to be. For example, a lot of the reason why photographers used to shoot in RAW is because there would be situations or environments in which you'd have to shoot at an extraordinarily high ISO. And right. in order to remove noise, shooting in RAW allows you to, to post-process and remove a ton of that noise. But that's not true anymore. Um, the well, it's sensors, also when you had to do HDR manually as well. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, these days, the, the sensors are so much better and the image processors are so much better that, you know, even off of a like a, a mirrorless micro four thirds camera that I'm shooting at 1600 ISO, I can still get a f- pretty phenomenal image out of that in, in pure JPEG. And right. so the days in which it's the, the 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 difference in quality is huge um it's like having for example a 4k tv and watching a bunch of stuff that isn't in 4k sure that extra detail and resolution is really nice but you're never gonna see it <laughs> i don't own anything that's 4k <laughs> i'm yeah, still rocking 1080 i don't give a shit <laughs> i'm also mildly annoyed that my my iPhone shoots in 4K only because I have no need for that 4K and it just takes up a lot more room on my phone. <laughs> you can turn that off. Yeah, but um, I did. I'm, I turned it. I turned it off and I put the frames down to 24. Yeah, no, my frames. I'm always going to shoot in 24P, man. I love that look. Yeah, well, it's, it looks awful. Everything after that, unless you're shooting sports, everything else looks like shit. Yeah, it looks terrible. Um, but anyway, so I ended up taking 23 or 24 images. Yeah. Um, and they're already up on the website, so I'll put the link in here. Um, here, I'll send you. Cool. I'll send you a link, Lam. You can look at them right now while we're sitting there, and we can discuss your photos. Um, one thing I will say is, I was pleasantly surprised that I hadn't lost my "quote unquote" my touch in the sense that um, not. I'm not saying. Usually, people say that it's like a pat on the back. What I mean is, the type of photos I took this week are similar to the type of photos I used to take. So my style, maybe that's better. My style has maintained itself, which is I prefer inanimate objects and strange symmetry, um, geometry. I like playing with composition. I don't necessarily take pictures that would ever be commercially viable. <laughs> mm. And so, and these are uh, these. By the way, the pictures up here are not all pictures that I like necessarily. I just put them all up. Um, I don't hate any of them. But there are definitely ones that I'm like, I like that one. And other ones where I'm like, mm, that one really doesn't do much for me. The, the one of the dog pissing is probably the first one I would say is not that interesting to me. It's funny though. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. I actually like the ones that, that like the drinking fountain one's really cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah, these are, these huh. are fun. I yeah, love those are pretty camera. solid actually, dude. I love that camera. The last one's my favorite, of course. Wait, which camera are you shooting with? Sony NEX 6. So okay. it's like a, what is that, eight-year-old camera, something like that? Yeah. Good enough. Yeah, it's funny because I have these super expensive cameras. I have, you know, $1,000 lenses and stuff. And the camera I shoot with most often these days is my little point-and-shoot uh, Canon GX5, which is probably one of the best point-and-shoots ever built. Yeah, I wish I, wish I, I liked using my Canon G7X more for photography, but I, I hate those little zoom lenses, they drive me yeah. nuts for some reason. Yeah, you see the the one I have on the, the GX5, it's got um, a, a big aperture lens for a tiny camera. So it's got a true 1.8 aperture. Um, and it's it's not the crappy lens. That, it's not the crappy style lens that you're talking about. It's a slightly bigger lens that, that makes it feel more robust and zooms pretty well. Yeah, that last image was a pretty good one, actually. Yeah. That's cool. 
I just I love the glass on that. It's a it's a, a fifty millimeter. Yeah, uh, of course it is. Yeah, it feels like fifty mil. I love prime lenses. Yeah. Okay, photography nerding out. You guys can go look at those if you want. Um, yeah, I'll put a link in the show notes. The end. That was that was our challenges. Oh, lamb oxen free check. Time for ch- oxen free check. Nope. Dun dun dun. Oh man. <laughs> That's literally. Those it's are literally the exact now, same yeah. words that you said last week. Oh man. Yeah, it's it's literally principle now. Uh, oh, there was a, I forgot there was a second part to my challenge. I was going to try using the Apple Watch again. Uh, um, completely unrelated. I just tacked it on. It's been good. Um, I, I, yeah, I haven't I noticed any negative, any negative from it. Um, the only thing I would say is sometimes I don't notice the notifications anymore. I don't feel it anymore. <laughs> um, but as far as um, the one positive thing that I can 100% say positive about it is right now, my of the two of the three exercise circles, I've filled two. So that gamification of exercise, it really works for me. Um, That's a good word, gamification. Well, yeah, it's, I mean, it's a pretty common word now. I didn't make it up, so I can't claim credit. Really? Oh, man, I wanted you to have made that one up. No, no. I stole it from, probably from Jay McGonigal. Um, but yeah, I making my exercise into a game, like, can I fill these circles? It really works for me. I'm the person that, that it works for. So that alone is a benefit. And I have not once looked at my heart rate monitor since putting it back on. So oh, cool. I actually until I said that right now I forgot I had one. <laughs> were you were you are you still full under the belief that looking at the monitor definitely increased your anxiety? Oh yeah, oh yeah, absolutely one hundred percent. I have zero doubt, like zero doubt. Hmm. Dunton, who's the dog? I hear a dog in the background. It's not mine. Oh yeah, there's a dog in the neighborhood. Um, I, I'm surprised you can hear that. Damn, this microphone's good. Oh, it's a. It's a condenser, so it's taking in the whole room. That's, yeah, why that's, I keep, that's why I keep telling you to get one of the dynamics. I will. It's on the way. As soon as I figure out my entire living situation, because all of that's <laughs> getting blown up really soon here. Um, oh, not we, to go on this very long. By the way, the uh, let's go back to that, because I have a question about that. Um, well, I forgot. One of the cool things, I know you like to walk around while we're doing these, and that's why you don't usually wear headphones. Yep. That um, QE2 has a headphone jack on the actual mic. Whoa, are you serious? Okay. Yeah, it's, it's on the That's ass cool. of the mic. So you could actually listen to headphones and walk around with the mic. Hmm. Okay, well, that changes everything. Yeah. Um, you want to talk about living situation on the phone or after? Is that a personal thing? Uh, I can talk about it now. I don't care. Nothing's, nothing's personal anymore. Dude, considering what I've talked about when it, came to, when it comes to the end of my relationship, I think talking about a living situation is way innocuous in comparison. Okay, but I will once again remind you when we started. <laughs> this is just friendly advice. Remember the door and how open you want it to be. Wait, what? The door for people into your life. How uh, wide do you want it? And then if you want to talk about it, we'll talk about it. I just wanted to remind you of the door. Oh, man. I don't, you know, I only like mine cracked. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, I don't know. I, I've always been a door wide open kind of guy. And I feel like that has to change because I don't have the 
the emotional energy to to leave it open anymore. Yeah, well, for people who don't know what the fuck we're talking about, I forgot. I'm sorry. Sometimes we forget you guys are here. Um, <laughs> at least I do. <laughs> the the door metaphor. We're talking about the. the we're talking about you guys. <laughs> I'll be honest. Um, there's only so much you want to tell as as a person putting out content into the world, which some of you are, I'm positive, wonderful, fantastic people. One of you could be a sociopath. And the same information is going to go to you as goes to the sociopath or the stalker or the person who just thinks that they can tell you what to do with your life. Sure. Um, so the more you expose yourself, the more you open that door is what I'm reminding Lamb of, the more that's possible. So it's always good to remember as much as we like to share parts of ourselves that are genuine, there are certain things that you guys don't need to know. <laughs> sure. I'm I'm more strict on it than you, obviously. Yeah, um, I was going to say, like, my, my counterpoint quickly to that, though, is... The, I think the door should be as open as you feel, as much as you feel like you can handle. And you've got to check in with yourself pretty often as to how much you think you can handle. And I think I've gotten really good at that. Right. And I think also the difference between you and I is you haven't had the backlash of it yet. You oh, sure. You haven't been burned by the door being too open. Um, Maybe. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Okay. Um, yeah, it's weird. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about that offline. Yeah. Welcome to our private conversations. Um, so what was so what was your your question about the housing thing? Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, sure. Why not? Are you moving? What's going on? Um. You no, I'm staying. Rooms, so yeah, I switched rooms. I'm staying in the house. So basically, I'm just paying twice as much rent as I was before, which is awesome. Oh. Yeah. Let's talk about that offline. Yeah, I would have. I would have never switched rooms if I had known. Like basically we switched rooms and then the relationship ended a week later and I would have never, I laughed laughed at the irony. (laughs) Dude, I totally get it though. Um, Because I, I mean, I would have 100% never switched rooms if I had known. That's that was, that laugh was for it fucking figures. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's, that's, that's a great way of putting it. Like I probably said that out loud at some point too. (laughs) Well, fuck, of course, of course we broke up. Of course we did. Uh, all right. Pick a topic, mine or uh, yours. Actually, considering where we are, I think we should think of our new challenges. Uh, let's see. What are we at? Uh, if you want to talk about them for 15 minutes. Uh, well, I mean, we just talked about the challenges, so I feel like it's it's logical to, to come up with the new ones. Um, but it doesn't matter. Well, usually uh, we do them right before we before we say goodbye. All right, screw it. Let's go back to the topics. Let's look at them for a second. So what the heck is podcasting about podcasting? This is pretty brief. So I was listening to A16Z, which is the worst name for a podcast ever. Um, And they were talking about these three people talking about podcasting. and I don't know. I listened to it twice. Um, Excuse me, I'm burping. Not getting emotional. (laughs) Uh, I got through... The first time, and I was just kind of like, it's really hard to explain this, but sometimes when people talk about um, monetizing, the way that they talk about taking something that's creative and then making it more businessy, um, it disgusts me in a way. Uh, this is really hard to explain. 
So for example, painting or whatever, if I listen to some uh, three people talk about, well, what we need is we need an algorithm that will tell us what colors are the best colors to put into this picture. Because when you put the best colors into the picture, you're going to sell more paintings. When I hear that kind of shit, it makes me want to throw up. Um, because that's not what you should be thinking about when you're painting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like that about podcasting. Um, in listening to it the second time, I, I was less annoyed. So I think maybe I was just being reactionary at the time. But there are some things in here that just it stuck me a little bit. Um, for example, one of the things, one of the, I think at least two people in this say is that the thing that they hate about podcasting is the lack of interaction. For me, that's what I like about podcasting. <laughs> I, 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 we've talked about this before, and it's part of the reason I got rid of my social media um, is it's really hard to build something in a glass house when everybody has an opinion and can give an opinion about something they're entitled to it. Of course, everybody's entitled to their opinions, but in the, in the long run, it ends up affecting the work in a negative way. Mm. Um, Like for example, one of the things that they talked about is this part where I say the good parts, they talked about what they would love is more accurate analytics so they can tell exactly what part of the podcast people are liking and exactly what parts they aren't liking. Now that's dangerous because you think about like this show, if I had those kind of analytics and I'd be like, Lamb, we can never talk about your living situation again. We lost, you know, 10% of the, you don't need that kind of shit in your head when you're recording. Yeah, sure. And it's going to take all the genuineness out of this medium. The most beautiful thing about podcasting, specifically this type of podcasting, which is conversation driven, Mm -hmm. which is, uh, you know, just what we do and what Rogan does and, you know, what Marin does. It's a conversation. It's not planned. It just goes where it goes. And the only way that that works is if you don't have that kind of shit in your head. So I don't want that stuff. I really don't want that shit. But then there's these people out there that seem very determined that these things need to be made and that what you're supposed to like, while you're, I don't even understand how that fucking interaction thing would work. You know, like what? People are going to be able to like message us while we're recording. Well, it also goes back to the thing we inherently hate too. I think I think it, it speaks very much to um, safetyism as well um, and political correctness. It's just a form of that. Right. And that you're you're specifically catering what you say to make people feel safe. Like because in this situation, why would you lose someone, right? Like you offend someone maybe, or you challenge someone's notion of a belief or a reality that they don't necessarily agree with. Well, fuck that. That's why we're here. Right. That's like <laughs> like in, in going back to the episode with Kat, you know, the part where she says twat. You know, oh, it's sure. like yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's it's kind of like not a it's not a nice word in America and England it doesn't mean shit you know this twat that twat this twat you know like it doesn't mean shit over there and one of the things we talk about is like you know like I said in the episode is if the people listening right now have listened to enough of my episodes I'd be surprised if that offended them but if it did bye yeah who cares not because I don't like you not because you're not a good person but because this show is going to do that to you a lot. Yeah, I mean, if there's anything that's going to define this show in my mind, it's that 
We, I don't want to create a safe space. I agree with all of those things that are said about safe spaces being inherently dangerous for people. And yeah. the more we, and he the means more intellectual we, safe spaces, by the way. People. Yeah, intellectual safe space. Not a physical the safe show's space. not going to rape you. Yeah, not only that, I don't want to have like swinging knives and people throwing darts. That's different. Like, I, I, I just <laughs> don't care. Toxic gas. Yeah, toxic gas. Oh no, not, yeah, we're heading back to a dark place there. <laughs> what I don't want to do is create a place in which I can't freely think and I can't freely offer an opinion about something I think. Screw that, dude. Yes. No, no that's the whole point of the show. It's literally the first sentence of the description now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, exactly. like, uh, th- this is about conversation, it's about nuance, it's about being challenged. And that means us and you. And yeah, and that means that means us pissing each other off on occasion too. Even though we haven't really done that, we've definitely no. challenged our notions of certain things. Oh yeah, you know, no, I don't think it's possible for us to piss each other off at this point. Yeah, I don't. I really don't. I mean, we've talked about some weird shit. I mean, we spent twenty minutes talking about Hitler on this episode, so I don't even know. Yeah, but we agree on Hitler. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Wouldn't it be weird if we didn't agree on Hitler? <laughs> that would be a very uncomfortable podcast. Wow, that's awkward. <laughs> That'd be so weird. <laughs> I'm glad that we agree on that one. I, although I do, I do remember one of the, the episodes that I liked of ours the best was the one in which we didn't agree on something, and I don't remember exactly what that was, but it was very, very cool to hear us talk it out. I think it was the one where we were talking about um, the Green New Deal, and uh, uh, yes, it was. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, what was the other aspect of that? Oh, about um, taxes, uh, taxing the rich, and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, that was that was that was fascinating. And I think it's also because, you know, like we, our personalities are just very compatible for this type of discussion. But going back to the, the point of all this, this show wouldn't work if we could get messages from everybody at every second and say, Lamb's wrong, Chad's wrong, boom. That You don't need that kind of shit swimming in your oh head. God, and I'm, yeah. I'm going to assert my opinion onto the whole world, but I don't think any creator needs that granularity of input. It's it's too much. Yeah, that is way too much. I I think that the way things work with podcasts as it is now is probably a little too much, anyways. That you know, like for example, um, this is a this is a case where it actually worked out to the benefit, I think, of a podcast, but could have completely gone the opposite direction. First time Joe Rogan had on Jack Dorsey, the whole Twitterverse fucking jacked off in their outrage anger. You know, about <laughs> everything about that episode. It sucked and it was uh, bullshit and he was a shill and whatever. They were all just fucking having a blast. Um, so Rogan, uh, I'm going to have him on again and I'm going to really ask those questions. The reason he did that is because of all of this, right? All of this input. Turned out mm-hmm. to be, the second one turned out to be a pretty fucking good episode and very fascinating. So it turned out good, but it could have gone the other way. What if yeah, the episode totally. was was worse? So then does he have to do a third one and then a fourth one? You know, like how much do you, do you, you know, uh, what, what's that term? Um, where you bend your will to other people. Kowtow? Compromise. Kowtow? Kow, kow. I, I like remember. kowtow. I don't, I don't know if that's right, but I like the word. It's something like that. I don't think that's the exact phrase, but, um, and, and I think that even, and that's the way that things are presently. You know, that you have to go to another app. Personally, I really love the idea of back in the day, like if you watch something on TV and it offends you, you have to fucking sit down and write a letter and mail it. 
not because it should be difficult for people, but because people wouldn't send trivial shit that they changed their mind about a day later or exaggerate too much if they had that friction, going back to the friction thing. We need more friction. You know, like uh, if you wanted to say something to us and you had to write us a letter, you're going to think really hard, most likely, about what you put in that letter. And you're probably going to give the best version of your argument. On Twitter, you really think anybody's giving their best version of any argument? Absolutely not, ever. And being able to message a podcast right in an app, it's not going to make things better. It's going to make it worse because the immediacy right there is going to make it really easy for people to just send 6,000 fuck yous. I'm on a rant. Yeah, but you're totally right. I mean, I, I, I think, you know, and I think that, that the, the, the rage culture, see, see, both of those things, people don't realize that both of those things work in tandem, right? Our need to create safe spaces and rage culture exist together and exist because of each other and fuel each other. And I think as long as we continually buy into one or the other, the, if we buy into one, the other exists. That's just basically the way it goes. Right. Uh, and, and as long as we set up that reciprocal, we, 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 we initialize that reciprocal relationship, it will always exist in some form. So at some point, someone's got to just pump the brakes and just be done with it already. And I think that a lot of what we're seeing with kind of a weird backlash in um, how social media works and how people view social media is, is a direct reaction to that. You know, the, a direct reaction to how hilariously unhealthy having that kind of reciprocal relationship between between rage and and call out is is and and safe spaces is is basically building in anxiety into every environment we go into. It goes back to that metaphor that I almost lost last week of the tree and the roots being kind of mirrors of each other in size. Sure. You know, the the further the the fringe of the right goes the further the fringe of the left goes. They move in, 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 in synchronized movements almost. And um, one of the things that, one of the difficult things in the Jordan Peterson book that I'm, I have difficulty with because it, it's completely ridiculous. And at the same time, there is a nugget of possible truth in it. One of the things that he says in there, and I'm going to paraphrase it, and I'm going to paraphrase it in a way that probably makes it sound... Um, more even more extremely worded than he words it um so i encourage you to not take my word for this everyone but read the book yourself be offended in your own ways <laughs> but at least <laughs> at least be offended by his actual words and not my explanation of his words um because i do think at at his heart um he's trying to be a good person he just has some questionable ideas um one of the things that he says is that uh, the f I'm using air quotes again, the feminization of men uh, results in uh, fascism, results in this, you know, this, this rage within men that makes people like Donald Trump get elected. Um, not that he's a fascist. That's for you guys to argue whether he is or not. Um, but these um, movements towards nationalism, which he's definitely a nationalist. Um, these movements toward nationalism and fascism come from the rage of men from being told that they have toxic masculinity and all these things. So the ridiculous part about that, of course, that I have trouble with is, is it seems like a way to blame uh, these extreme things on feminists. <laughs> 
It's like, well, this happened because of you instead of the people doing it, actually taking the blame for what they're doing themselves. Um, so it's a way of passing blame. But the part of it that seems interesting is I can see a room full of 20 men bitching about feminists um, and complaining about how women are taking everything away from them. It's not much of a stretch for me to see those same 20 men having a conversation about how Jews are doing that, how black people are doing that, how Mexicans are doing that. Mm. So I do think that there is some sort of connection there, but I wouldn't say it's causal, but it's a very, I'm going to say it's a very interesting idea, but not in the like, I like it type of interesting. It's interesting as in it's really complex and dirty to think about. Mm. So yeah, I got I got to process that one. There's some there's some nuggets in there that require some some deep thought. Yeah, it's it's very it's very muddy because I because I because I don't want to disagree with it offhand. I need to understand more. Yeah, it's very muddy. I would say I'm I'm ninety percent in disagreement with it, with it, two percent impossible agreement with part of it, and like a whole bunch of you know whatever percentage is left was that eight percent left of just plain old confused. Yeah, sure. um, but I can. Then that 2%, like I said, is just I can see that same group of people um, becoming this other group of people. So in that way, I could see that relationship. I just don't think it's necessarily – I would never put that blame on feminists and say that they're creating these people. Because in fact, I think what his the flaw with his argument there is those type of people probably were already those type of people. Sure. Not all of them, but to you know, people who people who are willing to say, um, women are ruining men. You know, I don't know if anybody says that. That sounds stupid, but <laughs> people who are willing to say something like that are probably people who already you know think that women are just a hold of fuck. Jeez, mm, yeah, you know sure. what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. they already have that opinion to some degree. It just hasn't taken that shape yet. They already don't respect these type of people, whether it's Jews, blacks, women, gays. Um, they really don't have respect for them in some way. It just morphs into this other thing. Sure. And I could see, yes, I could see being told that everything you do is bad and awful and that you don't have a place in society anymore. I could see that feeding that fire, but that fire had to exist already. And sure. I think that's why it's muddy because his causation is kind of flawed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. It's not that there isn't a, a connection, but the connection is not as strong and it's not the initial cause. Um, it's just a tiny piece. You know, like you could blame somebody for calling you an asshole on the street for the reason that you become a mass murderer. But the reality is everything that happened to you before that person called you an asshole that made you flip your switch is really what made you into a mass murderer. Not sure. that person. Yeah, that's just the, the final straw. Yeah, and it's just a tiny piece of a puzzle that has maybe no blame at all. It's just something that happens. You know, let's go back to the safetyism thing. You know, like that's what safetyism is trying to do. It's trying to protect us from all these small little pieces because it thinks all these small little pieces are the causes of things. Those aren't the cause of things. They're just things that happen that we have to learn to endure because we are alive. Yeah. Anyways, that was a rant. Um, So, yeah podcasting <laughs> more input not necessarily good um also briefly one of the other things they talk about they talk about 
worrying about the length of podcasts, you know, like, and people telling them, I wish your podcast was 10 minutes because that's how long my commute is. Who gives a shit? Oh, God. Podcast yeah. players have pause nope. buttons. Nope. Yeah. Like, I then, because I then every audio book in the world would have to be 10 minutes long. Yeah, I don't, I don't listen to Joe Rogan all the time in one sitting. You know, so, sometimes I listen for a half hour and then I got to go do something. And I come back like, you know, a day later and I hit play and I listen for another hour. My brain, our brains, the human brains can remember that kind of information. Well, your brain doesn't even have to remember that all the, podca- <laughs> all the podcast apps remember for you anyway. No, I mean, it, it can remember what happened in the conversation oh, so oh, far. Oh, yeah, sure. So unless no. you're a goldfish, you should be just fine. Yeah, it's not like you're going to be thrown in the middle of, you know, season four of Game of Thrones and go figure it out. Speaking of which, that comes back this week. Yep, dun, it does. Dun, dun. Sunday. Sunday, it's a thing. Ah, okay. Um, let's do our challenges. Unless there's a topic that you're burning to talk about. No, let's, eh, no, not really. Not, not that is anywhere close to short enough to talk about at this point. All right. So I have no idea what my challenge is going to be. I thought I knew earlier, but I forgot. <laughs> uh-oh, uh-oh. Oh, it was a good one too. I don't know. I should have written, should have written it down. Yeah, that's the story of my life. Yeah, that's true. That would be a great book for you eventually. Oh, 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 oh! Actually, before before we before we, I have um, two small things that I wanted to throw in that I forgot I had on post its that were related to things we already talked about. Um, just a fun one. This is these are very brief because they're on post its. People are turning slowly slowly starting to realize what we're realizing about Google. Um, the Japanese prime minister wants to use the time as their chair of the group of 20 su- at the group of 20 summit to push for data governance. In other words, rules on how data can be used. God, um, about, about fucking time. And I, and, and because it's a group of 20, that would be a global push, not just for Japan. Um, the EU has given them enormous fines Plus uh, the recent uh, right to be forgotten um, ruling, which means that people can be erased, that they're not going to be in the Google algorithm forever if they don't want to be. The French government has decided, not all of the French government, parts of the French government has decided that the devices that they give their employees, they're going to be using Quant, which is a French search engine as the default and not Google. Mm. Um, And Berlin Apparently, Google wanted to build a new campus in Berlin, and there was a huge campaign to stop it, which was successful. And the name of that campaign was Fuck Off, Google. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. We've said some bad things about German people from the past. Now we just said something about wonderful modern German people. That is amazing. That's really, really good. Um, I, I... that's all from an article, so I could maybe that was just the writer being clever, but from the way I read it, that was the name of the movement, <laughs> and That's it was in really, quotation really marks. Awesome. Jeez. And then uh, one other thing that I thought would be really valuable after reading all that stuff about Google um, and thinking about the, the irresponsibleness of you know collecting this data, I watched an episode of The Expanse, and <laughs> there was a quote in that that just kind of knocked me back because it was exactly that. And it was, there's that, um, you know, when they go on trying to explain this in a way that won't disorient everyone, there's a guy that was connected to the machine 
um, you know, all those guys had their brains connected. Only one of them survives. Yep. And they're talking to him. They're uh, interrogating him. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that he says about that thing is says, we can only learn by letting it learn. And that's, that's Google, right? That's the argument. This is the own Google. All these things, all these services we give you can only become better if we feed this. And without ruining the show, we'll just say feeding human beings to a monster, which is not a literal interpretation. That's why I'm being masked. Lamb knows what I'm talking about. Yep. Feeding human beings to a monster is analogous to this. I think that that's a very apropos quote in the sense that we're feeding our privacy, which in a way is feeding human beings to something because we want to see what happens if it grows. Oh, man, that's, that's so good, though. I love, the, I love the German thing. Do you know Do you know how far along any of those things are? What do you mean, how far along? Are we talking about like, pregnancy here? <laughs> well, I mean, I 18 mean how, months. How, how far along are they to the point of being able to pass some of these things in, in real time? Well, I don't think that the... I don't think that the group of 20 summit has happened yet. Um, the fines already happened. The right to be forgotten already passed. And the French government's already doing those things. And yeah, so most of them already happened. But I just see like the tides turning, that people are realizing it. I wonder, I wonder who's leading. I, I, now I'm going to research that. I wonder who's spearheading the effort. That's really cool. I think it's just, I, I hope nobody's spearheading. I hope it's just small pockets everywhere. Because of people just slowly waking up to the reality of their information being cataloged. Yes. And this isn't, this isn't with the hope of destroying Google, everyone. This is with the hope that this model, this surveillance capitalist model is destroyed and that these companies, which are run by mostly good people, will find a new model that benefits all of humanity. Sure. Instead of, of using it. You know, we are livestock for them. And that's not good. So what the hell was my challenge? Hmm. I don't know. Uh, What was yours? Uh, My challenge is to do a fully studio, like fully, I don't know if I'm going to studio it out because I don't know if I can actually find a studio by then. Um, But to do an actual photo shoot. Wow. Yeah, man. I'm taking as many big steps as I can here. Oh, what the hell was mine? I might have to cut out this long pause. Yeah, you had one. <laughs> Shit, I don't remember. Um, do, you, do you think about them as we're doing the show? Sometimes. This one I thought about earlier today. Um, and it was more along the lines of the type of stuff you've been doing, where it was more um, challenging to myself in a personal way. That's why it was a good one. So, since I'm on the spot, I'll think of another one. <laughs> Damn it, dude. But I feel like if you, if you premeditated one, it's got to be a good one. Yeah, well, if it's that good, then I'll remember it and do it next week, I guess. Got it. Uh, actually, you know what I think is a good challenge right now? that I, It's a challenge that's going to be beneficial to me. It's something that I should be doing already. I'm going to do two things every day. Um, I'm going to journal every day, which I haven't been doing every day, um, but I need to do it every day because every time I do it, it's it changes my my mind and it feeds my mind. So that, and I'm going to 
I already walk every day, but I haven't, since I got the dog, I haven't been doing the boxing much. I'm going to do that every day for mm. the next week. So exercise my mind, exercise my body every day for the next seven days. Solid. All right. Um, uh, if you guys want to, you can go over, you should go out and check out the photos since I took the time to take them. Um, sign up for the newsletter while you're there so you can get stuff thrown at you every week. Um, multiple times a week, episodes thrown at you, um, book recommendations almost every week, a weekly roundup of interesting things that I find that Lamb and I actually don't talk about in these episodes. Um, I think that's it. I think that's all I send you guys. Yeah, that sounds right. So you can sign up for that. Right, Just click mail on the homepage. And uh, if you listen on Overcast, hit a star right now. And uh, until then... Lamb, anything you want to uh, ask of the audience? Or say? weren't we weren't we doing audience challenges for a while? Yeah, if you want, <laughs> I put myself on the spot on that one. Jeez, <laughs> I'm not even waiting for you to do it anymore. I'm just doing it to myself now. Um, I I want to prove this. I want to see if this theory holds true to a certain extent. So I challenge everybody to eat an apple a day for like a week. Interesting. You'll definitely poop better. Yeah. Oh, you know what? Before we shoot this in the foot, I do have one thing that I wanted to tell you that's interesting to people. Small little thing. Could have been a challenge. So when I take the dog out to poop at night, um, it hit me after I read that book on American Cosmic. I'm like, you know, I would love to see an unidentified object. And I was like, that will never happen. I'm never outside. So now instead of opening the door and letting the dog walk out, I walk outside and I look up at the sky for a couple of minutes. Oh, good. Not that I actually think I'm going to see anything, but why not like just look at the sky? Like it's looking at the stars is just mind blowing. I don't do it very often. One night it was clear enough. I saw Orion's belt and that was crazy because that was super clear. Um, It reminds me of my experience going to Death Valley, man. If you've never seen the Milky Way from the perspective of a desert where there's no light pollution from a city. Holy crap. That's a whole different experience. Yeah. I would love that. Oh, unbelievable. We, one day we got to just do that. Like I'm just going to, I've been on this spontaneous kick lately because I'm trying to, you know, not mope and hang around my house. I'm just trying to do as much stuff as possible. And one day I may just call you and say, Hey dude, it's 1030 at night. Get in the car. Let's go. <laughs> pack a, pack a bag for the dog. No, don't even bother packing a bag. Just just bring a little... You, you should already have a bag ready for the dog. Well, not with food. Oh, okay. Yeah, they need to eat. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I'm sure we could wrangle some stuff. It'd be easy. All right. Let's, uh, let's end this and go in. Speaking of eating, I'm hungry. Yeah, I haven't eaten either. Okay, kids. Hope you enjoyed yourselves. I hope you're enjoying this show that you're liking the difference between the uh, me talking to other people, probably eventually Lamb talking to other people, and me and Lamb talking to each other. I'm having fun. I know you're having fun, Lamb. Yep. So, uh, stick around and spread the word. Bye-bye, babies. Bye. <laughs>